0: Well, after I graduated from college, I decided to be poor at least one more year. I decided to go through a ministry program that my church had up at Denton Bible in Denton, Texas for people that were considering ministry, which means you're going to be poor in the long term as well. And so I walked through this ministry program and I really sensed that the Lord and felt called to ministry and that calling was affirmed by people around me. Um, But I wanted to go to seminary. I wanted to get trained. Um, to teach the Bible, I wanted to get trained to do pastoral ministry. And that required a graduate degree. And that required money, which I didn't have. And so as that year was progressi- progressing, and the ministry program that I was in, I was thinking about how in the world can I raise enough money or work enough to both continue to serve at my church and also go to graduate school, which was not cheap then, and it is definitely not cheap now. And so I remember finishing up that year, and in the summer, every summer, the last couple of summers of of my college days, I would go to this camp to serve kids called T-Bar-M in New Braunfels. Maybe you know it. And so I had already met my future wife there the summer previous, and so that summer I'm thinking, all right, I'm coming to camp, and if you serve at camp, it's a great blessing to your spiritual life, but if you do the math, you're there 24 hours a day, and they give you room and board, but you make about $1.27 an hour, and so you're not going to store up anything in the fall if you're going to try to go to grad school, and so I knew I had a role on, at my church that I could play um, I knew I had a part time job waiting for me, but none of that was going to do it. None of that was going to fulfill the need to try to start seminary and so I remember the end of that summer, and i 'd also thought about raising support because I was also serving at the church and I was processing through that, and there were a number of people and family and friends that were willing to support me and I had a few more people to ask and i 'm not much of a salesman. Um, I got a marketing degree in college, and I'm not much of a salesman. And so it was hard for me. If you've ever had to raise support, um, you're putting yourself out there. It's a hard thing to do, to go, I need you to help support me so that I can go do this thing, so I can be a part of ministry and learn and grow. And so the end of that summer the end of camp, there's family camp at TBRM, and for the previous couple of summers, I'm going to get to the point here, for the previous couple of summers, there was the same family, and they were from Midland, Texas, and they had two girls and a boy, and these young kids were in elementary school, and I loved this family, and I thought, well, maybe I'll give them information. Maybe they would be interested in supporting me, and I didn't think anything of it. At the end of camp, there was about three weeks left, and I was starting seminary, and I knew I could get to at least one semester in of seminary without trying, having to figure out something else to do. I knew my money could get me that far. And I told um, this family about my need. And a couple weeks later, as I was starting seminary, I found out that they had sent an incredibly generous gift. And they continued to send generous gifts in the years that I was in seminary. Like a gift. I mean, you're, you're living on ramen and you've got a part-time job. And the gift was able to supply all of my needs that I had to finish seminary. Have you ever been on the receiving end of an extreme generosity? You ever been there? Whether it's something like I went through or... Think of examples in your life where you're blown away at the generosity of someone toward you. Have you ever been on the other side of it? Have you ever been on the side, the sweet side, where you get to give something to someone else? Or give something and it blesses someone else? When you do that, it's contagious if you've ever been a part of something like that. This morning, we're going to talk about generosity It's one of the secrets of really living. One of the secrets of really living is giving and being generous. The Philippian church knew what that was like. They were able to financially support the Apostle Paul and generously give toward his needs. And Paul received it with joy. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And today we will primarily be in verses 14 through 23. But we come to the end of Philippians, and there's some great principles that we can take out of this text this morning on generosity and giving. You know, I don't know about you, but this is an interesting morning if the pastor is going to talk about giving, all right? I'm hitting the exit right now. Fun to talk about. And perhaps it brings up memories for you. Maybe they're bad memories. Maybe you grew up in a church where there's financial impropriety. And so when the pastor who's supported by the church talks about it, I've got my radar up. And I understand the sensitivity of that. And maybe you look and you go, well, I've also experienced or seen the preacher on TV that just wants money to fund his private jet. You're sensitive about that. I understand. I agree with you. And yet the Bible continues to talk about money and generosity from a generous God. And because we teach the Bible and we just walk through the Bible in an expositional way, we're going to get to text in which we see the issue of money and generosity. And so that's where we come today. Last week, Chris talked about Christ being our strength Because if you have Jesus, the point is, you have all that you need. That you can be content. And contentment is a learned thing. It's not a circumstantial thing. If you have a lot or you have a little, and it comes from knowing Christ. Contentment comes from knowing Christ. And today, what you're going to see is this. You're going to see the fruit of contentment lived out. Because when you live a contented life and you believe that Jesus supplies all of your needs and all that you need you have come out of him, it brings contentment and then it brings a freedom to be generous to other people. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Three important principles about generosity and then a closing thought from Paul. So, Open the Bible, Philippians 4, and I'm going to start in verse 10 so you get a context, and we'll, but we'll primarily be in 14 through 23. God's Word. Don't have it on the screen. Bibles on the end of your row, um, page 982. We've got to use our Bibles. This is a great thing, a novel thing. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Verses ten and following. God's word says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm seeking speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am I can be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. Remember he's in prison and he's hungry. And he's had much before. and In any of these circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And here's the primary passage we're in today. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, you see that? No church entered into partnership with me. Here it is, in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, after he had left, you sent me here to help for my needs once and again, multiple times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And here's the worship. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And here's the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Three important principles about generosity. The first one is this. Generosity takes intentionality and sacrifice from God's people. Generosity, if you're taking notes, I don't have it up here. That's what you write down. Generosity takes intentionality and sacrifice from God's people. Look at it there in verse 10. You see it in verse 10 at the beginning. He revived your concern for me. He's given them a financial gift. In verse 14 in our text this morning, you were kind to do what? Share, that's the word we get for fellowship, my trouble. What's his trouble? His trouble is, is he's in prison. And We said this a few weeks ago, but when you're in prison back in the day, prison reform and the way that they paid for prison is the prisoners had to pay for it. They had to pay their own way to be in prison. And this is his situation. That was his trouble. And he was also basically awaiting a death sentence. Is is Caesar going to say, up or down, am I going to live or am am I going to die? And then he said, no church has entered into partnership. He's used that word multiple times. It's the same word koinonia we get for fellowship. He used it in chapter 1. And he even says that they are partakers together. It means they're laboring together. Even though Paul goes to all these different places and ministers, because they support him, they are a part of it. It's as if they are there. They're intentional. Think about the intentionality of a church. This Philippian church, as we've said, is impoverished. It's impoverished. They're living in poverty. They don't have a lot. They're not giving from their surplus. They're impoverished. They are also persecuted. And yet they're the only church. The implication is, and you see this in the book of 2 Corinthians, and also in the book of 1 Thessalonians, is some of these churches that Paul came and planted and taught that they weren't giving to his needs like hey go find a hotel but come teach us you pay for the hotel but come teach us not philippians the philippians paid for paid for paul to do ministry not just to them who led them to christ but also in other places they were intentional to care for paul even when they weren't meeting his needs when they were when he was going to meet other people's needs and sharing the gospel they were intentional they were the only church partner. They were also sacrificial, impoverished, persecuted. And think about it how did that gift get to Paul in Rome? Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was in the church, and he sent, he took the long trip from Philippi to Rome. And on the way, as he was walking and with his sandals on, he got sick and he almost died. That's how committed these people are. To caring for Paul's needs. See generosity takes intentionality. It takes thinking through what you're going to do. And making sacrifice. How do you think about using your money for God's kingdom? How do you process through giving to your church? Are you intentional about it? Are you intentional about giving to kingdom work? How much thought goes into it? As a church, how are we processing through the money and the stewardship that God gives us with our budget? That's a question. That's why we have a finance team. It matters how we steward God's money. Money that you give to this church Preach the gospel, money you give to support the staff, money you give to support the ministries, money you give to support our supported ministries and missionaries all over the world. It's important to steward that, it's important to be intentional about money, about giving, about our generosity as a church, like the Philippian church. I think about it in this way when I personally think about stewardship. And generosity or giving financially. I think in three jars. I've got one jar that is what I'm going to give. i got another jar that's what I'm going to save. And i got another jar that's what I'm going to spend. And kids, if i got $10 that I make a month, I'm going to put $1 in for giving. That's 10%. I'm going to put $1 in for saving. That's 10%. And I'm going to live off and spend the other 80%. I'm going to live off the 80%. And I know that's countercultural because we always say, well, if I make this, I'm going to live up to that point or beyond that point. But when you live below your means, you're able to be generous with what God has given you. See, the church is the place where first fruits go. And it's our aim as a church to be a blessing. To others, it's our aim to do ministry and the gospel in other places to support ministries and missionaries. There's a stat that says the American evangelical church gives 2.4% of their income to their church or to kingdom work. The Philippians here are giving not from their surplus. They're giving generously. Imagine the church impact. If the church gave anywhere near what the Old Testament would call a tithe and what the New Testament calls an offering, which is actually technically above a tithe. I don't know if you've ever done cardio. I don't really like cardio. Especially as I get older, it doesn't really agree with me. And so if I haven't done any cardio in a while, or if I've never done cardio, guess what? The first few months are killer. It hurts. It hurts really bad, but the more I do it, the more I want to do it and need to do it. And that's the same way with giving. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you've started that process. There was somebody in my life when I was in college that said, if you don't start now, you're not going to start. If you don't give when you don't have much, like the Philippians, you're not going to start. So when you have more, it's not going to change anything. Where are you at with giving? You know, it's neat. It's neat. When you experience people in your life that model generosity for you, like the guy who gave to my need, like guys you meet that say, You know, I used to not give very much. I used to just kind of do my bills at the end of my bills. Whatever was left, that's what I gave. It wasn't first fruits, and I was challenged. And I just love to give now. I love to see what God will do with what I give. You know, sometimes I want to talk generally about generosity because it's more than just financial, right? It's a posture of my life. It's my time. They were helping someone in a hard situation. That's what the Philippians were doing. So when you think about people in need, you think about somebody who's gone through a flood and needs somebody to come help muck out their home, or an Arctic storm or it's taken out 20 of their pipes, and you need somebody for help. Or a missionary that you know that has need. Or somebody who's gone through a hard time. It takes intentionality, right? It takes intentionality and, and sacrifice to meet that need. But it's a beautiful thing. And here's the thing. It's really polite, right? I do it too. In the South, it's really just a polite thing when somebody you, you, you know has a need. to say, hey, can I help you? And that's a nice thing to do. That's a polite thing to do. Or, this is what I often say, let me know if you need something. And inevitably, nobody usually nobody comes back and says, oh, I'll let you know. Every once in a while. So I'm going to ask you to get a little rude with people and bold with people. It's a polite way to go about life. Well, I know you have this going on, but how can I, how can I help you? That's not wrong, but I think we ought to be bolder. Here's an example. When you know a family's going through something, call the person and say, What night are you going to be home this week? Tuesday, Thursday? Okay, I'm bringing a meal on Thursday. I will drop it off at this time. It doesn't matter if you freeze it or not, I'm going to provide you a meal and drop it off. If you know somebody has a need in their home, show up. They might not be there. Show up and say, I've got tools, I've got this, I've got this. I'm going to help you. I think I'm very polite, but oftentimes I don't move into action when I should just go try to meet a need. How about you? If you know somebody has a financial need, drop off a check anonymously or however you want to send it. Care for people. Generosity takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen. And sacrifice. From God's people. And maybe you're here this morning. And, or maybe you've got this thing in your head. Where it says you're saying to me. Pastor it sounds like God or you. Or the church just wants something from me. You just wants something from me. Let me tell you something. Here's a truth. That will, will blow your mind. If you don't think about it. But everything you have. Your bank account. Your cars, your house, your kids, your spouse, all of it is God's. It's all God's. He's loaned it to you. You're a steward of it. You're a foreman of it. Hear it? You're a foreman. You're a steward of what he's given you to make much of him. And so none of the stuff that we have, none of it's ours. Not a thing. It's his. It's his anyway. He doesn't need your money. It's already his. He's a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. It's on loan to you and to me. But here's the thing. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And that's the beauty of the rest of this text. There's a responsibility here that we've been talking about. But the beauty here is that there's something that God wants to give you as you are generous. Look at it. This is awesome. Here's your second point. Sowing generously reaps a fruitful harvest for you. Sowing generously reaps a fruitful harvest for you. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. Remember, they've given him this gift. But I seek the fruit or the reward that increases to your credit. This is an accounting term, credit or account. See, there's this heavenly bank account. As as we're generous as believers in Christ and the way that God has been generous to us through His Son, that there's this reward that is waiting in the future for us. Don't lay up treasure for yourself or moss and rust, destroy, thieves break in and steal, but do what? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And so there's this future reward that waits, awaits for us as we give generously. Second Corinthians says it this way, when when, when Paul's talking to the Corinthians who aren't giving about cheerful giving, he says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously and bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And so there's this kingdom ethic that and you think about your bank account, and you think about your savings account, and what, how much time you spend thinking about how much money you have, um, how much money you're saving. There's this spiritual, heavenly savings account that can accrue. The interest on it's better than what you're doing at the bank, I can promise you that. As you give yourself and the things that are on loan to you away. Sowing generously reaps a fruitful harvest in the future. Here's the thing back in chapter one, where he calls them partakers, where he says, You're partners and partakers, that means you're laborers. So it's as if Paul goes off to Thessalonica and all these places and leads people to Jesus. And what Paul's saying to them is, Because you supported me and because you're a part of this and a partner with me, it's as if you are there. It's as if you get the reward. For what I did. Do you catch that? Generosity pushes forward. There's a future aspect. But there's also an earthly implication. There's an earthly implication. To sowing and reaping. And I get nervous when I start talking about this. Even though it's all over the Bible. This idea of. Sowing generously. That means I'm going to receive something here. And the reason I think I get nervous about it, and you might get nervous about it, because there's this thing called the prosperity gospel out there that says, hey, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you have enough faith and you give enough to the church, then you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not the generosity and reaping that I'm talking about. You see, oftentimes the return here. Is probably not financial, but it's spiritual bounty. It's spiritual supply to us. I told you about the family from Midland that supported me. Two girls and a boy, elementary school. I finished seminary, and I take my first ministry gig. Middle school youth pastor in Houston. Awesome. Kids are awesome. I spent about nine and a half years working with kids. And I had the joy really of, uh, of seeing kids from about sixth grade all the way through twelfth grade. A number of those classes I get to walk from sixth to twelfth grade. Got to be a part of their lives. I got to help shape and mold them alongside of their parents. And you just have some students, right? You have some students. You have some kids that you just continue to do life with when they grow up, and it's really fun. It's really fun to do life and it's a different scenario. And one of these kids that I'd spent a lot of time with, he was in college. He was a senior in college. And he was back for Christmas. And he calls me and says, he said, Hey, let's get together. This is a regular occurrence for us. Spent a lot of time with him. And he's like, Hey, I want to go to Top Golf. Give me a lesson. All right, go to Top Golf. And so we're sitting talking. And this kid had served at TBRM in the summer. And he's a senior. And we talked about anything under the sun. And he goes, hey, there's this girl. I'm like, all right, here we go. Boys do do that, all right? There's this girl. I met her at camp. She's from Midland. Her name's Emily. And I said said her last name. And he goes, you're like my mom and dad. You know everything before it happens. You know everyone. (laughs) And he starts telling me more about Emily and his relationship with her. And they're dating, and six months later, they're engaged. And I happened to be in Dallas, and I got dinner with them. Hadn't seen Emily since she was knee-high to her grasshopper. Just a cool story. Went to their wedding a few months later in Dallas. And I went up to her dad. I said, I've never shared this with you, but I didn't know... And they're out there dancing. I didn't know if I was going to make it through seminary or not because I didn't have enough funds. And I, I didn't tell you that. But your generous gift got me through seminary. It allowed me to get trained and have experience in ministry. And he starts laughing. And he's like, you know, one of the things in my life that convinced me to be a cheerful cheerful giver because I wasn't was to watch God at work and here we are and I'm watching my daughter and this boy that you've invested in, my son-in-law now, a godly man and I see it, I see it again and again and again. See, sowing generously reaps a fruitful harvest. And sometimes you don't get to see it like that. But it does. God's word tells us it will reap a fruitful harvest. Do you see what God wants for you in generosity? Or do you only see what God wants to take away from you that's not really yours? What does your heavenly bank account have in it? What could change with a a few intentional and strategic changes in your approach to generosity? Are you sowing generously and cheerfully as the Bible would call us to do? But here's a question. How does God receive it? We know we have the responsibility for it. We know it even bears fruit, and we're rewarded for it. But how does God receive generosity? How does he think about it? And is God generous? I mean, he wants us to be generous. It's clear that God wants us to be generous, but is he generous? Look at the verse 18 through 20. And I'll start in the middle. Verse 18, receive full payment, well supplied. Paul has what he needs. Receive the gift from Epaphroditus, and here it is. About the gift, about this financial gift to Paul. Here's what it represents before God. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Listen. Generosity, this is your third idea. Generosity pleases a richly generous God. It pleases Him. It's worship to Him. Do you see it? And not only that, it's a God who promises to give us His provision as we are generous. Do you see it? The supply, the promise there. The supply of His care for our need. If you know the idea of fragrant offering, you, you have to think about Old Testament offerings and what they would do in the Old Testament where they would bring different kinds of offering to God and they were supposed to bring the best offering to God. And when they did, it was an exhibition of their faith in the Old Testament over and over and over again with a pleasing sacrifice that it was a fragrant offering to God, that he was pleased by it. So this text is saying that your generosity pleases God. He accepts a generous offering if it's given out of first fruits. Hebrews 13.6 says, Don't neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. But in Old Testament Israel, there was oftentimes in the nation Israel that they were in trouble, right? And one of the reasons they got in trouble is because they would take the best of the animals, and here's this crippled old sheep, and we'll give that as a sacrifice. And they weren't bringing their best. And that's when Israel often had problems when they weren't giving their best to God. But see, Paul sees generosity as worship here. And then the beautiful promise. The beautiful promise of provision that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. What kind of resources does God have? It says here that they are rich. They are endless I don't know about you, but I think about my limited savings and I have to parse my limited savings out if I'm going to go give money to someone or there's a limit to it. And I don't care if you're Bill Gates or whoever you are, there's a limit to it, but not God. Not God. He rich, all of it's his. He can give an abundance. He wants to give an abundance to you of his supply to take care of your Careful here, needs. Not wants, needs, right? How does he do that? Through whom? Through Christ, in Christ. The riches, we have riches because of Christ and what he's done. This is what he's saying. That's a beautiful promise because in Christ, we have all the richness of our need. That leads us to being content and it leads us to being generous. There's a great gospel truth here, isn't there? That Christ was rich, 2 Corinthians 9. He was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, by your poverty, might become rich. See, the cross is about generosity. It's about the generosity of God toward you and me, sinners in need of a Savior. No way to pay the debt that we have that he paid for us. God is a generous God. I don't know about you, but when things like a flood hit or a pandemic hit or an Arctic, whatever we call it, hits, it gets a little scary because you find out that the food chain is pretty scarce. You know that feeling where you, you, you go through all this stuff and you go, wow, food can shut off like that. I'm going to go grow a garden, right? Right? Scarcity, but there's no scarcity with God. There's no need to fear or worry with God. He will supply all of your needs in Christ, C3. It's beautiful truth. So what kind of offerings are you making? What kind of offerings are you bringing? Are you trusting that even in your hardship and the ups and downs of life, that God will supply all your needs in Jesus? Or are we looking to other places to fill those needs that will never fill those needs and only bring scarcity? One more thing. And he kind of shifts here to the end of the book. One more thing. Look at the last greeting. He's in prison, just a context. He's in prison, sends this letter. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He could have easily said, "Just greet so-and-so, every saint." He knows these people. He knows Lydia. He knows the slave woman. He knows the jailer. He knows these people. Every one of them, greet them. The brothers who are with me greet you. If you go to Romans 16, you can see a list of people that were likely with him. We know Timothy's with him and a long list. So think about this with Paul. He's living in community even though he's going through an incredibly hard time and people are willing to move close to him and around him even though they could risk hardship as well. And so when you think about being in hardship or being in a pandemic, you still need community. You still need the care and love of other people around you, even if you're the Apostle Paul. We need to live in community. and We also need to live on mission. He didn't let his hardship stop him from sharing the gospel. As a matter of fact, in chapter one, he said, this is meant I've taken this to mean that God is going to advance the gospel through my hardship, through me sitting here in a prison cell, wondering if I'm going to live or die. But guess what? It got me closer to something. It got me closer to Caesar's household. It got me an audience with Nero, a madman, who eventually kills him. But he says here, and it's kind of like you read through it, and you miss it. Greet all the saints, greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Remember back in the first chapter, in the first few verses? He says he's hanging out with the praetorium guard. And he's chained to them. Like six hours, that was the way it worked. The praetorium guard, which is considered part of Caesar's household, was chained to him, or he was chained to them. But Paul's perspective is, guess what? It's a two-way street. I'm chained to him, but he's chained to me. He's got to listen to the gospel. And these people were coming to know Jesus, and show, it looks like they were showing up in church and going, all right, tell me more. Can you imagine being a the first century, and a praetorium guard walks into your church in Rome? You think he's an outsider trying to shut this thing down. No, Paul's led him to Jesus. So he's living on mission even through his hardship. There's a bigger truth here. There's no power in the world that can stop the power of the gospel. The Roman Empire, in all its glory, could not stop the advancement of the gospel here. That's what you ought to see. Do you believe that? Do you believe that today? Because it's still true. I know we live in troubled times. Politics are a wreck. The morality of our nation is a wreck. I'd much prefer ease and comfort. Simpler times. But there is no, absolutely no, reason for fear. None. There's no reason to hide as Christians. Whether people try to cancel you or not. The power of the gospel is bigger than all of that. And we can walk through hardship. And it's when I look at Scripture and I look at history, it seems like God most often works and moves in times like these. In times like we live in. Because it wakes us up. It makes us consider, do you believe the power of the gospel is still that powerful today? Do you know what? There's evidence that people... In Caesar's household, like his wife, Jerome tells us this later on in church history. The people in his household do come to faith. And we know, third century, Constantine, etc., etc., etc. So God is even at work in a madman's family who's running the world at that time. No power in this world can stop the power of the gospel. So generosity, back to generosity. Generosity takes intentionality. You need to know that it it reaps, it reaps fruit to you, to your account, and it has impact on blessing in your life, whether it's material or not, spiritual blessing, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And it pleases a richly generous God. I think the best way I can sum up this passage is really a different text. It kind of gives you the cliff notes of this passage in about three verses. Listen to this. I wish I had it up here. Or turn there. Even better yet, you can turn in your Bibles to this text. Isn't that great? Flipping of pages. That's a great welcome sound. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And this really wraps up every single point that we've made here today. It, It captures it. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, by the way, statistically, we're all rich. I know you don't think you're as rich as the guy who lives over there, but we're all rich in this world. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainties of riches, but set their hope on God, who richly There it is. Provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves. So that's future. As a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life today. Are you setting your hope? On that which brings life. See, one of the secrets of really living is giving. This is what Paul is saying to the Philippians. Are you giving generously to God's work? It takes intentionality. It takes sacrifice. But there is fruit for you waiting. Your takeaway today is trust that Jesus is enough. Trust that Jesus is enough and both contentment and generosity will follow. Let me pray. Father, you're a generous God. There is nothing that compelled you to take people like us the Bible says are in our sins and send your son to die on a cross for us who became poor when he was rich that we might have our debt counseled our sins paid for by his generous act so Lord we thank you Thank you for the cross, your son Jesus died in our place, and we can know you through him. What a gracious gift that is. Thank you for the richness of your word and the promises in your word that you supply all of our needs in Christ. What a great promise We love you. We pray for anybody here that has never heard the life-giving message of the gospel, the good news, that Christ has died for their sins, that they can't earn their way to you through anything that they do or merit before you, that you've generously given us your Son, who's died and who's raised, and who sits at the right hand of the Father and continues to our inner seed. and through your spirit you continue to supply all that we need, that you are there in our deepest trouble, help us be a church who reflects that, who reflects the gospel, and cares for one another, and is generous to each other as you've been generous to us, in Jesus' name, amen.